Welcome back to another episode of Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Sitting around the table today, still joining me are Pastor Scott Slater and Pastor Tim Michael Angeli. I'm Spencer Snow, and we are here to continue our discussion through the Baptist faith and message. Last week, we talked about God's purpose um, of election or God's purpose of grace. And this week, we're talking about the church. What is uh, the church? And so we're going to walk through this. I'm going to open up real quick. It just uh, tells us what um, a church is. The Baptist faith and message says this. It says, A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that is a basic working definition of what a church is. And um, so whenever you read the word church, you have to evaluate what does that mean? What is a church? And sometimes that word can be used in, in ways that um, are broader or more restricted, um, even in our, the way we use the word today. So this is helping us to define more clearly of what we're talking about when we speak about what the church is is what the church is. And today we're going to break it down just in two broad categories. The church is a local congregation, but also the church is the universal body of Christ, which the Baptist faith and message also uh, talks about as well. So guys, let's start off real quick with asking this question. Why is it important for us to be concerned about the church? Why is the church important and why would it be important for us um, to know something about what the church is? is well the bible references the church is the bride of christ if it's, we're the bride of christ it should be important it's important to him uh i mean we see this right even in revelation being presented to him as holy and so uh, it should be important i mean uh it the bible speaks of the church as being by the means by which the gospel is shared in the world so what does that mean what is this church then uh yeah i mean i, I don't know I mean, when you look at Scripture and you see historical accounts of Christians, like in the book of Acts or things like that, you you don't really see instances, except by rare exception, of a Christian that is existing outside of a gathered group of believers. And so it's like you see them in the context of a gathered group of believers, and so how do you understand that community mm-hmm. to function? How do we define that? What does that look like? Um, some of the commands, I mean, like the letters that were written in the New Testament were not addressed in most cases to individuals, but to churches. Mm -hmm. And so it's like it was a subject that's brought up in the New Testament. And for us to properly interpret those letters, for us to properly understand the Christian life, seems like we need to understand the church. Right, right. Yeah, the church is really the the place where much of... uh, the Christian life happens. Um, it's the place and the people um, where where we we learn about Jesus, we grow in grace, and uh, we're strengthened by the fellowship that's found within the church. Um, so, 
Uh, Jesus talked a little bit about the church. I mean, he talked about his people, but using the specific word church, I guess we see him use it in uh, Matthew chapter 16, where he says um, uh, that, um, is that found there? Matthew 18 also with discipline, but maybe also with Peter's confession. Mm-hmm. I think it may be used. So my point is, is that Jesus doesn't really talk, use the word church. Yeah, because Jesus says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, the idea of a church, the Greek term, ecclesia, was actually used in the Old Testament to refer to the congregation of Israel. It was referred to Israel whenever they were congregated together for an assembly, um, whenever they were brought together and summoned together for a purpose. And, and they, so we hear about the congregation uh, of Israel. And Jesus now is saying that he's building a congregation um, around himself, um, building a congregation um, around around him. Um, it's interesting. Um, you, you read in Hebrews, there's two mountains talked about. There's Mount Sinai and then there's Mount Zion. And in a sense, we're no longer being congregated around Mount Sinai, but we're being congregated around Mount Zion, uh, just as the Old Testament people of God were. So the New Testament people of God um, are being called together ultimately around Mount Zion, where Jesus Christ is, um, spiritually speaking. But that also plays out in local local congregations, um, as well as we're going to talk about. So, first of all, the church is a local congregation. So, it, it specifically defines the church this way. It is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers. Now, there's a lot of words there that are very specifically chosen in that very compressed definition. Um, so, first of all, it says a church, a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers. So first of all, let's talk about this. What does it mean that we are autonomous? What's that word mean? What are we saying when we're saying that? Well, according to the study guide, this means that every local congregation is invested with full authority to fulfill its ministry. Baptists do not believe in a hierarchical system above the local church because none is found in the New Testament. No earthly headquarters can exert authority over the local church. So it means that you as a as a local body, God has given that church everything they need to be a, a faithful church, and there doesn't need to be anything over, over that church, determining what it's doing, what it's saying, uh, that the scriptures do that for that, that local body. Right, so like... In contrast to that, for instance, um, the most obvious contrast would be Roman Catholicism, which has a headquarters in Rome, in the Vatican. Um, and so there's a hierarchy, right? So it, there's there are upper level authorities who tell the local parishes who have control um, over what goes on or have uh, authority over the property and, and other things over local congregations. And there are other forms of church government that are found that are not like that, but they're still um, have hierarchies to some extent or powers uh, outside of the local congregation, mm-hmm. right? They have power over that. And we would say, you no, know, each local congregation stands before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean, I think it's very important. That doesn't mean that you are, um, while they're autonomous and, and complete, that doesn't mean that they can just go, um, they should go do whatever they want 
all the time. They should work with other churches where they can. But the idea here is, is that they are complete and fully furnished and authorized and commissioned by Christ to carry out all the things they need to carry out by themselves, right? They are a complete thing, a complete manifestation mm-hmm. of the church right there. There's, they're, they're complete. Um, so second of all, it says that it's not simply an autonomous congregation, but it's a local congregation. Why, why use the word local um, there? What is that getting at? Man, I think, I think that's kind of a deeper question that can go into some other realms here. Uh, I think, I mean, essentially, <laughs> while you're thinking, it's it's getting at the fact that this is a a group of people that are in close proximity mm-hmm. to one another that can actually be together. Right. Yeah, I think that's the key of being together because. Like Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And that connotes coming together physically. In each other's physical presence. And yeah, physical presence to to worship together, uh, to hold each other accountable, to pray for one another. We, we see this over and over again. Just like Paul, you know, he travels to all these different towns and creates local churches, and he doesn't tell them, you guys all now need to go, and you guys should just all meet up in Corinth all the time. You know, it's no, it's not feasible. So there's these local congregations who have pastors, and he says, "Do the work here, right? Lord's Supper, baptism, right here, uh, in this local spot." But there's this idea of being connected uh, physically together, uh, like you said, presence, having that there. The reason I was struggling with answering it is because there's uh, there's so much of that is being challenged today. Yeah. Uh, with internet and right. TV and things. So, so, so a church that is has, uh, you know, so some churches will say we have an online campus. Yeah. Is that actually a church? I would say no. No, no it's not a local congregation. They're not yeah. actually in each other's physical presence. I mean, I would also say that, though, going pre that is you have churches who have traditional services and they have contemporary services and you have your group of people who go to the one and the group of people go there and they don't ever see each other other mm-hmm. you know like you have two churches right you right. have two local churches here is what you have really mm-hmm. you guys have the same pastor which is kind of mm-hmm. weird but you you're two churches or you can have a church with multiple campuses right yeah of different locations actual locations where the it's it's considered to be one church and they might handle that in any kind of scenario. There might be a local campus pastor there who does all the preaching, or right. they might just video in the central campus is preaching. Right. You know, and both happen. And in some ways, we would, put, in some ways, that's a violation. I mean, they would, they, many of them would say this isn't, but because we would say you have multiple churches there, really. That's also a violation of the autonomous principle mm-hmm. because those campuses are not autonomous. They are accountable to the big campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there's multiple things happening there that that start to quickly become unbaptist, mm-hmm. at least convictionally about what a Baptist church is. Yeah. Other, other traditions have different nuances about what constitutes a congregation, a church. But this is what we're saying um, a, a church is. It's autonomous, but it's also local. It, it, it demands your physical presence to be able to assemble together. Um, whenever God called Israel together at Mount Sinai, you couldn't just zoom in to Mount Sinai and sit there. No, everyone, men, women, children, young and old, everyone had to come to the mountain and physically be there. Similarly, 
we have to all physically be here to assemble together um, to hear Christ speak to us. So it's a, an autonomous local congregation gathering of people, but it specifically says that it's made up of baptized believers. Talk about that real quick. Why is that important um, that it's made up of baptized believers? Because we would say that when God saves you by his grace, the very first command that he gives is to be baptized. And so we believe then you need to be baptized as one who's been saved by God's by God's grace. Um, and so you cannot then be a member of the church until you are baptized, showing what God has done in your life, the work that God has done, because that's what baptism is. It, it's a sign of what God has now has done in your life, the work that he has accomplished for you, death to this old life, raised to a new life in Christ. And so you cannot be a member of the local church until you faithfully then follow God in that act of baptism. I mean, historically, all churches would say that a church has to be made up of the baptized. Mm-hmm. But we say baptized believers because we say baptism is a, a sign of what God has done. And you can't truly be baptized because you until you've had put your faith in Christ. Right, right, yeah. Historically, in the past, Baptists would say we we have to have a command, a precept, or or a uh, precedent um, uh, somehow to prove. Because in the past, right, the old Baptists would say, in order to practice anything, you have to have a command or an example from God's word to do anything in worship, including baptism. So, whenever it came to infant baptism. Um, it was, well, we don't have a precedent, so we don't have an example in Scripture of infant baptism. We don't have a command to do this, a precept. And we also don't have some kind of indirect principle that we need that we can deduce from Scripture to do this. So therefore, if God hasn't commanded it, we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we did believer's baptism, mm-hmm. is because we saw the only examples we have commanded and exampled in the New Testament were those who... Um, professed and repented of their sins. Now, those are visible saints. We don't say that, like, there are people like Simon Magus in Acts chapter 8 who can slip under the wire, so to speak, and profess falsely. Um, But that doesn't mean they weren't baptized, and it doesn't mean, um, I mean, sometimes that happens. That that just is going to happen in the New Testament church Mm -hmm. because we're fallible. Um, But... uh, but the idea of the church is to be made up of baptized believers. We're actually agreeing in one way with the church of all the ages that only people who are baptized should be part of the church where we would differ with most of the church. We would be in the minority report, but still this is where we would differ would be on the fact that only those who profess faith in Christ are the proper subjects of baptism. And so therefore our churches would be made up only of those who profess uh, saving faith in, in Christ, correct? Yeah, I mean, we would understand that baptism is actually one's entry into the church. When you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. Mm-hmm. And what is the church? It is the body right. of Christ. Right. And so if you're baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his body. Mm-hmm. You are you are then part of his people, mm-hmm. right? You're mm-hmm. united not just to him, but to one another, right? And so that's our understanding, that baptism is kind of like the gate that brings you into the church. Right, right. It's um it's like the wedding ring, right? It, it's a it's a once for all act 
You put it on there and it reminds you of who you are in Christ and who Christ is to you. Um, and you don't, you know, even whenever you renew your vows, you don't re actually get remarried. You just are celebrating. And that's what the Lord. So we've got the one hand, we've got a once for all entry ceremony, baptism. And then we've got an ongoing ceremony that reminds us of our ongoing abiding in Christ with, with the uh, Lord's supper. So this is what the church is. It's a, an autonomous, complete congregation, actual physical assembly. You can touch it. Assembly. It's not an online thing. It's not a distance thing. It's not a, a TV thing. It's you, you're here. Um, in a sense, we as Baptists, we've been, we've been all about the, uh, the organic community of believers, really flesh and blood people here. Um, and that's what we, that's what we believe the church is, is a real tangible association con- uh, congregation of people who have put their trust in Christ and have uh, been, been baptized. Now, real quick, I want us to say this real quick. That doesn't mean, by the way, there are churches, right, that have that, for instance, there are some churches that preach the gospel that that don't strictly baptize believers. Mm-hmm. We would not say, at least I, I, I wouldn't, that those are not true churches. We would differ on with them, and we would have our own convictions. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean those aren't still churches. It's just not church the way we think church should be run in its purest form, correct? Sure. Right. So, well, it's not church the way that the Bible would say it should be. <laughs> right, John the Baptist, right? Scott. <laughs> We're still trying to talk Scott away from the fact that the first Southern Baptist Convention was not Acts 15, but <laughs> they, got, they got the Judaizers kicked out of the church. Um, anyway, no, it's funny. Um, so we talked about the what the local church is, but let's talk real quick. It says the operation of the church. It kind of gives a basic principle um, it says the church operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. Let's talk about, first of all, it's under the lordship of Christ. Why is that important for us to remember that everything that we do as an operation, how we work together is under the lordship of Christ? What does that mean? I mean, it means he's the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And so this is why it's so important to be word driven you know, by, by the word of God, because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that is our authority is, is God's, is God's word. Uh, like we've talked about in other places at other times about how as pastors, we don't get up there and we, we, we can't share our opinion. We're not supposed to be sharing. This is what Tim thinks or Spencer or Scott thinks or Dave thinks it's here's, here's the word of God. This is what the Bible says. This is what we must do. This is who we are. This is what he has done. Uh, and so we submit ourselves to Jesus uh, because of what he has done for us. And we don't want to go over that line. We don't want to overstep our authority. We also don't want to give up the authority that he's given us as the church. We want to be who he desires for us to be because he is, he is our Lord. He is our Savior. And so we are here for him, like I mean, it's already been said. I think in this podcast, it says we are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. He is the head. Mm-hmm. It says he mm-hmm. is the one who leads. We are the hands and feet, right? But he, or he is the vine. We are the branches. All life comes from him. If you if you take yourself out of the life giving source, you're no longer anything. You're just dead. So how do we know? So Christ rules the church. He wears the crown. He's the only one who gets to wear a crown in the church. Um, he rules it. How do we know what he wants us to do in the church? 
by his word. That's right. what we have. Right. So we can't just, somebody can't just come up here and say, you know, Jesus told me that we need to be doing this. Right. Or whatever. That's not how Christ rules over the local congregation, right? Yeah, it's not chaotic. It's not, he doesn't rule that way. Um, he has given us a book and this is the authority. Mm-hmm. And we have been given the Holy Spirit and the ability to know the truth from the book. And that's like that. That's what I was going to say. Is this, that's some, that idea is something that separates our understanding of the church from other ecclesiastical institutions. That we don't think that each church needs a certain go-between to understand what Jesus would have its church do. Right. But we we understand that as no as a congregation of believers, each of us has the Holy Spirit and are able to go to God's Word and understand God's word in a way that we can actually carry out his commands and live in the way he's called us to live. It doesn't require um, a a priest. It doesn't require Mm -hmm. a bishop that's over a bunch of churches that can tell us and interpret for us God's word. No, we are able to do that as the church. Right, right. So Jesus rules his church and churches— I mean, it's interesting, right? So I've been reading in my Bible reading, I've been reading in Revelation, Jesus walks um, among the lampstands, which are the seven churches, which represent really all the churches on earth, ultimately. And he actually, he, he's walking, and that's comforting, isn't it? Because we don't see it, but the risen Christ is actually interacting and present with his congregations, so comforting actually that he's actually lit he's and he says i will take out your lampstand and i will you know he's he's actually doing stuff it's not like he's sitting on a couch up up in heaven he's actually actively ruling his congregations we don't see that but he is doing it and he does it through the scriptures through his word which whereby he governs us and rules us and he uses um officers which we'll talk about later on to to remind us of and to teach us about that word um, Tim, what else were you so want to say? I'll say this is where uh, Baptists sometimes can get a little wonky, in my opinion, is where they take what you said, Scott, uh, that individual believers can read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit helps see it, but they've taken that too far at times to where it becomes uh, they're not actually studying and interpreting the Scriptures how they should. Uh, they're taking it very much out of context. But they're what they're saying is, who are you to tell me what the Holy Spirit is saying to me? And they've taken that in some very dangerous ways, actually, to confuse a lot of people, to start cults, <laughs> to do a lot of, of bad negative things. I remember reading a paper uh, in college that was like a push to go back to the old system, saying it was good when the printing press came and got the Bible in everybody's hands, but it was also bad because you started, you turned, got a lot of really horrible interpretations mm. of people who were not trained or educated in how to study the Word of God. Uh, so there were pluses and minuses mm-hmm. right to it and uh i've definitely seen that play out believing what we believe as as baptists and we always encourage people get the word of god read it right pray about it uh because we think there's great value there but there is people who've taken that and ran with it in a very a very bad direction and we've seen how satan has even used that to deceive i think many uh, because it's not handled right, which we'll get to with the officer part. I think yeah. where where you're coming. Yeah, that's what I was. To. That's what I was going to say. Is that's why you have the checks and the balances mm-hmm. where the principle we see in scriptures that each church is autonomous because of that reality, 
yet there is still a necessity to yeah. have leadership mm-hmm. in the churches mm-hmm. and an understanding of Scripture. And that's the I've just seen a yeah. push against the whole leadership thing, and I've I've seen Baptist churches even do that. You know, like yeah. I know I'm your pastor. Don't call me pastor. Right? They why? Well, why? I'm just a normal person. And it's like, well, biblically, it's, there is something to being a pastor, and you're kind of watering that down more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a danger there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, no, there can't be for sure. So we use under Christ. It says through democratic processes. Um, what does that mean? You tell us. I. I Nah, uh, I am uh, I am uh, the newest uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, but so you're, I'm going to defer. You probably know more. I'm going to I'm going to receive what you have to give to you me. You are not the newest to the Southern Baptist. You were born and raised I was in the Southern Baptist born Convention. Born in it, but I was. I'm 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 still learning, so I need to receive. <laughs> I need to receive from from Mister Baptist. Is that what you're looking at? <laughs> Wait, so a democratic process is that's not. I think what they're that's a very. Yeah. Let's be honest. That's a very vague term. To I think the point is is that maybe that's a code word for congregationalism. Is that a code that's, word for that I or was, code that, phrase? I was going to say that what I think that's getting at is a historical Baptist understanding of how our church is governed, and they're govern. If each local church in itself is autonomous, then who governs that church? And the answer is the church. That church governs itself through a what's a what's understood as a democratic process of congregational church government. Does that mean that we just take votes every single decision like every single time? Does that mean that we it's, How does that It means it's vague I think because different churches will right. express this in different right. ways. Right. They right. say in the study guide right. because every baptized believer is empowered to fully take part in church life, a local church works through democratic processes under the lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's pretty vague there, too. Yeah, I mean, you see it play out different. Right. Different I think, churches have different I, standards. I think this, I could be wrong, but I think in the past, some of the, uh, these weren't Baptists, but these were the people the Baptists kind of came from and had or had connections to, the old Congregationalists. They would say that the church is a monarchy because Jesus is the king who rules over it. It's an aristocracy because you have the pastors and the people who are the officers appointed to rule and to care for the church. And it's a democracy in the way in which it, in which all the members have some part to play. So they would actually use all three levels to describe the church, how the church functions. Um, and, and I think there is some truth to what they're trying to say yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and you see like examples you said, in, sorry, yeah, good job. go ahead. So you see examples of all of those yeah. in scriptures. In the book of Acts, in chapter 6, the, it's the, the church who's gathered that gets to choose who these first deacons are, depending right. on how you interpret that. Right. They are the ones who choose that. But you also have Paul uh, telling uh, Timothy, a pastor in a mm-hmm. church, uh, mm-hmm. to exercise authority uh, through his preaching of the word and to right. guide and to shepherd you know, these people. And so right. you see examples of all of those. And exactly how it works itself out in each individual right. congregation is going to look different. Our church, as a Baptist church, even compared to other Baptist churches in town, it's going to look different for multiple reasons, right. size being one of them. It's going to look different. Right. You know? I think that's a good point, Scott, because we don't have a book of church order in the New Testament. We have principles um, and some clear directions, but we also have a lot of basic core principles that can be applied um, that are biblical principles that have to be applied um, prudently in each each situation's um, uh, right. So there's not like you know. By the way, if you, you need a three quarters vote to get this motion passed, we don't have that. 
um, in the, in the New Testament scriptures, and that is one difference from the Old Testament. The Old Testament had much, you know, like the the Pentateuch, right, where you've got strict, but more more specific laws governing the life of Old Testament Israel. Um, we don't really have that so much um, in the New Testament. We have broader broader principles, I think. So it's under Christ. We use democratic processes um, in various ways. Um, every single member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord, um, but we still have offices, offices of a local church. And um, the Baptist Faith and Message says the only scriptural offices. Now, I thought that was an interesting thing because I'm assuming there are, are they saying that there are, and I don't want to, I mean, uh, are they saying there's other offices that you could add on top of that, but are non-scriptural offices? Or they just mean the only scriptural offices that you can have that that the Bible talks about are pastors um, and deacons. The word pastor, of course, is one word that's used for there's there's a, there's a few terms that are used for the same office. One of which is the word elder or presbyter. Um, the word that we get overseer, which is where we get the word for episcopal. Episcopos is the Greek term, but overseer and pastor. So that that those three terms are all referring to the same office. And then we have the office of deacon um, mentioned in the New Testament as well. Those are the two offices that we recognize um, in the New Testament. What are what is the purposes of these offices? What do they do? How are they different? Um, what how are they beneficial to the body of Christ? Just those are some broad questions I think that come to mind. I mean, just generally the office of the past I mean, this is a in a very boiled down nutshell. The office of the pastor is to teach, to lead through teaching, and the office of a deacon is to lead through service, mm. is to serve the body. Right. So the office of pastor is I mean, well the idea of pastor is a shepherd, mm-hmm. right? He's a shepherd of the flock. Um, he is called to teach God's word to preach it, to administer it, to care for the flock of God. And deacons um, serve in various ways. We see specifically one manifestation. I think it's it's pretty good indication that in Acts chapter 6, that was a deacon-like, if not a deacon office, where they are administering the uh, funds to the widows in Acts chapter 6. Um, so both are set aside for leadership purposes, um, in different ways, they lead in different ways, but they serve the body of Christ in, in different ways. Even even the word deacon comes from the root, which means mm-hmm. to serve. Right, right. It's yeah. translated in other places as like servant or minister. Yeah, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, what? Talk about talk to us <laughs> about what? Teach us about pastors and deacons, yeah. pastor. I think you guys did a pretty good job uh, explaining it there. I think the big difference normally is the teaching aspect. I mean, again, churches uh, view these different in the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Of so, so you'll have some who will say we have uh, a pastor, and then we have deacons, and they lead spiritually, like they let the deacons lead spiritually, and uh, the pastor has to go to the deacons sometimes to get the authority to do different things. Uh, in the life of the church, you have some churches though who have pastor or pastors. They'll have a, a, a you know more than one pastor who serve, and they seem to serve more in the spiritual realm of the church. They teach, um, they spend more time praying, maybe uh, doing visiting or whatever with the body. 
and then the deacons are there to do the work of the church in the, uh, what's the realm? I, I said spiritual. I don't want to do the opposite, though. And more of the administrative role. They take care of the property or the grounds. They they make sure that the functions of the church are moving and going, the day-to-day uh, operations, you know, whatever that might be. They're there serving in, in those areas. And in some places, I see where deacons are ordained, and they're ordained for life, and they're a deacon for life. And others, I see, well, you're going to serve a couple years, and then you're going to, you know, rotate out. Or I've even heard of some, it's like, um, man, the church is really needing this, whatever it might be. Let's say we don't have anything in terms of the internet. Uh, we need someone who will be a deacon to come and serve in this area and help get this going. And that's their service. And they, they would label that as a deacon. A, a deacon does this role. Uh, and so I've seen churches where their ministry leaders are the ones called deacons because they're serving. They're doing this service, and then they have pastors who oversee the, the preaching and the teaching and the vision and direction of the church, and then the deacons come behind to help make that happen. In there. So it's really a wide, a wide spectrum, a, a wide range within Southern Baptist life and Baptist life uh, where you see these things take mm-hmm. take place. But in most Baptist churches, you're going to see both of those offices right, in, right. in some way, shape, or form. So I, I think... Because it's interesting to hear. I'm not trying to you're start, good, you're start good. fights. But I know other denominations are fighting about this. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men. It doesn't say deacon. It says pastor. Now, that's interesting. Now, our church might say, and deacon is limited to men. But the Baptist faith and message actually opens that up, where a woman could serve as, as deacon. So again, just like with the election one, it was kind of open in some areas. So so is this. This is open uh, to some interpretation of how churches feel Scripture speaks to these things. And so you'll find differences. Sure. For sure. What would be the majority opinion in the SBC? Like just describe it. I would assume the majority because the majority of churches are like 50 members or less. They're rural. rural. I hate that. That's a hard word to say. Rural. Rural. Um, and what I've come across is most of the time those churches are have a single pastor and then they have some deacons and those deacons, sadly, in my opinion, a lot of times the pastor answers to the deacons. Uh, that the deacons have a, a very high spiritual authority in the life of the church. Uh, and it's men. Most, I mean, the deacons would be men. The pastor's a man. Uh, to me, that's probably the majority of what you would come across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I think the, the, the single pastor, uh, plural deacon um, model, I think would probably be the majority mm-hmm. of practice yeah. In in not probably just simply SBC life, but Baptist, probably Baptist life Baptist in general. Life. Yeah, I would. That's agree. been most of the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been differences. You know, I mean, there there were some churches in the past that that and people that argued for a, a multiple pastor slash elder. Those mm-hmm. were, again, those words are all interchangeable in the mm-hmm. New Testament scheme: elders, overseers, pastors. Um, Hebrews uses the word leader in, Rome, in Hebrews chapter thirteen. Um, those were kind of all interchangeable, uh, and so they. But they would they would view those as we we should have multiple. It's good to have multiple uh, accountable, multiple people to share the burden of shepherding the flock uh, of God among you. Um, it's good to have colleagues. Um, 
in that way. Some of them, you know, some could also be full-time staff people. Some might be uh, not be full-time, you know, you know, they might not work full-time for the church, but they might work elsewhere, but still have the title of pastor or elder or overseer, whatever you want to say that, they have the same spiritual authority. Well, I mean, when you see the references in Scripture, I mean, the reason that we think that there are only two scriptural offices primarily is because those are the ones that are mentioned in Scripture. And like you said, for pastor or overseer, uh, they're kind of interchangeable. They're used interchangeably. But most of the time, like when you see the word pastor used in the New Testament, it's in the plural, Mm -hmm. pastors. There are pastors right. in view, not well, just, just one. Just like we talked about um, this past uh, scripture reading from Acts chapter 20, when Paul goes, he talks to the Ephesian elders, yeah. um, a group of leaders. Um, and that seems to be a practice also consistent with the Old Testament. There was always plural leadership, um, you know, with elders and uh, multiple people. Um, so, yeah, I think a helpful breakdown kind of nuance between el- between what the work of the ministry of pastors is and deacons is and is Acts chapter 6. He says, uh, Peter says, um, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's kind of s- similar basic ministry of what pastors have on a local level, not on an apostolic level, obviously. But then he says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. And there definitely seems to be an administrative distribution serving tables aspect to being a deacon. Um, and I, but I do think it's helpful to be reminded that one of the things they said is that deacons need to be men who are full of the Holy spirit and wisdom. And we see right after that, Stephen's going and preaching and that's why he gets (laughs) martyred. Um, so, um, I think it's important too, to just highlight the, the, the importance and value of godly deacons in the life of a church. Um, and to encourage, uh, our deacons and to encourage the congregation to uphold such men because they they were to be men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Um, and so that's just as the pastoral office is important, so the office of deacon is very important for the life of the church. I mean, we need godly men to do that. Yeah, I mean, you think about what's going on there in Acts chapter 6. The unity of the church yeah. early on is being threatened. Right. And so whatever kind of solution that they try to find to mm-hmm. to help this, to alleviate this problem, is a very important solution that's yeah. going to allow the church to continue to grow. And we, as we think, like deacons are born out of that. Right. right? And so that's um, deacons have a very important role. In the yeah, life of the church. Definitely, definitely. So I think that's important. Anything else you want to say about offices before we just wrap up with the universal body of Christ aspect of it? Or no. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so that's the local church. That's the manifestation of the local church that we have. But really, ultimately, each local church is a manifestation of a one spiritual reality, which is the universal body of Christ. Um and you can only participate really in the universal body of Christ. You can only get the full experience in the local church. But whenever you're at the local church, you're participating in a full universal experience, which is being part of the body of Christ, which is made up of believers from all ages of the redeemed from, from every tribe, tongue, people, you know, and, and also Old Testament and New Testament. You're participating in the full blessings that come to God's people, um, of all ages. And that's pretty exciting stuff to think about that your local congregation in Monroe is actually spiritually and truly united to people all around the world, but also to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Paul, John, James, 
Peter, all those guys were part of one spiritual reality in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's pretty exciting stuff, I think, um, and such. So it's a great privilege to be a part of the local church, to be a part of the church. And I think that's, that's something we should take away from us um, as we stop thinking about the, about the church. And um, we'll all be one big Baptist church in heaven, <laughs> one big mega church, amen. right? <laughs> Scott says, "Amen." Think be, do you think there'll be campuses in church? No, there's there's only one oh. campus, oh. only one city, only one city to reach, and that's the New Jerusalem. So, um, yeah, we're better together, you know. And uh, Amen. <laughs> it's not the road. It's not the road to Anaheim. It's the road to the, the New Jerusalem. That great convention in the sky. No, everybody's like, "What?" Are they never, yeah. never mind. Never mind. A lot of people. Sorry about that. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care and God bless.